0: We have the power to push ourselves way beyond what we're capable of. And I think that we're in a position as coaches and as mentors and as leaders to, to make these kids not only confident enough to do it, but to make them uncomfortable, to be unapologetically demanding, but relentlessly positive with them. And I say that a lot because I think a lot of times we think that we can't be too hard on them, but I got to be nice or we're going to be. You we think we're being demanding, but we're being demeaning. Like you have to understand, like what your mission is, and I think that we're here because of stress. Um, we're here because of adversity. Like if I look back right now, and I look at all these adverse situations and all these failures, like those were the setups for the big things, for the great things.
1: Welcome to the Offball Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 Beach Volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and movement leader. The Offball athlete and Offball movement is something that's different. I'm doing my best to surround myself with people to create a culture shift in human development. We're so infatuated with high performance that I often believe we've forgotten that there's someone there to begin with. Let's talk about culture. It's so easy to say something and not live into that standard. It's critical in this day and age to demonstrate behavior versus tell people how to do things. I believe culture is paramount. Culture is the most important thing if you're interested in winning championships. It's not about bagger practices or kicking someone's ass or forcing people into some type of coaching philosophy. It's about earning the right, earning the respect. And today's guest is someone who has done all of those things in spades. Ryan Horn is someone I stumbled onto a while ago on social media, but he's so much more than that. He just articulates himself very well on that platform. If you're a coach, if you're a parent, this is for you. If you're an athlete, listen up. This is also for you. Ryan shares so much about demonstrating, about being the culture. There's no telling people what to do here. This is about leading by example. Welcome to the Off-Ball Podcast. Today's guest is Ryan Horn. He's the Director of Human Performance at Wake Forest University and he's wearing a basketball shirt, so I'm sure you're pretty tight with the b-ball team. What's going on, Ryan?
0: Doing well. I actually only train men's basketball players, so I, uh, I'm i a specialist when it comes to a coach. I'm a generalist in training, but a specialist in our approach and the population that we work with. So I'm pretty lucky on that side of things.
1: Right on. And there's the first question literally right off the bat, director of human performance. I find incredibly intriguing because it's human performance versus high performance. Is there a reason why the word human is there? Did, did uh, that title uh, come was that passed down to you or um, were you in charge of that?
0: You know, I think, If you look at the history of our profession in the States, and especially collegiate strength and conditioning, a title says a lot. It says everything, but it says nothing at the same time. I think it's hard to kind of sum yourself up in in one title and to be able to do that. But I think we get so focused on athletic performance, high performance, strength and conditioning, when in reality, we're trying to maximize the, the potential and the abilities of humans first that are that are humans than athletes second uh and i think if you have that approach and you view things through that lens you're more equipped to deal with the daily happenings when you have that type of relationship so i i think the title says a lot i think it gives us a perspective and a focus that can be beneficial not only to our staff but also the kids as well
1: brilliant i love it man and how have you gotten to that standpoint? It's easy to get swallowed up in in the high performance run in in the the market that is youth sport right now the the fifteen billion dollar industry. We forget that there's humans there. like what has taken you on the journey where you respect the human before the high performance athlete?
0: I really don't see how you can really separate the two I mean for me, you have high performing teams, you have high performing systems and organizations, and it takes a lot of moving parts to do that. But first we have to define like what strength and conditioning is kind of redundant. If you look in old literature, conditioning encompasses the total ability of the athlete. So therefore strength's a part of it. Mm -hmm. If you look at a high performance team, if we're not undefeated, are we high performing? You know, what's that definition of high performance? You know, can a losing team be a high performing <laughs> team? Um, you know, what are the standards? But in the end, we deal with humans. We are humans, and that interaction between the two and understanding that is has been a natural process across my career. But it's something that's simple yet extremely profound. And I think that if we really take a step back and look at it it's kind of hard not to call it anything else. I think you have to, you know, focus on the fundamentals and, and trim that fluff away. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves and honest with our athletes, I think they'd rather be viewed like that. Cause I know I wouldn't be
1: hundred percent, man. I I agree. And just judged by your Instagram and the incredible messages that you share, like you're a big team guy, you're a big culture guy. So I'd love to, dive in with you of like, what's your ethos on, on culture? You certainly are someone who respects the human being wants the most for that person and, and asks for the, for or the most from that person as well. Talk to me a little bit about your philosophy as a coach and how you develop culture.
0: You know, I think culture is the big C word. I think it's talked a lot. I know, people talk about it a lot. People write books about it. You know, it can be a a, a scapegoat at times. It can be what we are at times. But when I really look at the word culture and what it means to me, I think it's a pattern of actions and behaviors that allow individuals collectively to pursue a common goal. And I think a lot of times the culture and the strength of that fabric and, and how it's woven is a result of that collection of attitudes, actions, and behaviors. And teams that have solid foundations and solid cultures usually have an organization that is on the same page, that's moving in the same direction, and that's willing to invest in something that's greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be somewhat easy to define, but then also can be hard in application because it requires people to be relentlessly positive and unapologetically demanding it requires people to step outside their comfort zone and to care and compete and commit consistently and i think that can be extremely tough because not everybody's going to keep hold of that rope and pull in the same direction every day yeah um so i think it is a numbers game i think it's something that has to be understood especially in our environment you know i work for a head coach my job is to carry out his vision for our program uh and it's important that we have a unified front it's important that we're all moving in that direction and that our standards are clear they're explicit and we're holding each other not only athletes because we focus that a lot i hear a lot of bashing of athletes but coaches are we holding ourselves accountable We love to teach, but are we willing to be taught? Are we willing to be critiqued? Are we willing to be genuine, vulnerable, and put ourselves out there and hold ourselves to the same standard? So that's how I would kind of define that.
1: No, that's so good. And I truly believe that the next evolution of of helping youth out and and youth development starts with the coaches and parents. They're having a higher standard for them. So you're talking my language, and I just want to read one of your – Um, one of your shares that just resonates hard with me, man. We own our thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it to the best of your ability and take responsibility for the results that follow every time. Be the standard. Don't let the things that require zero talent beat you. Man, that's so heavy. That That gets me going so hard. And I just want to talk to you about responsibility because I think it's a word that has kind of lost its grip because someone might have a bigger followership or they might have a huge amount of talent early. Talk to me about responsibility because I truly believe there's a place for it in in current culture and all-time culture.
0: You know, I think we all share and we all have very unique perspective and insight. And I also think that we're all given a particular platform And that we all have a purpose, not only as coaches, not only as athletes, but as individuals. And I think we have a responsibility to those that have invested in us along that path to give our best every day. Not to say that we're going to be perfect every day, Mm -hmm. that we're going to focus on progress. We're going to focus on trying to maximize momentum. You know, we're trying to get those little pieces along the way and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to hit speed bumps, but we're going to own those mistakes. And I think in a leadership position, but also being an athlete, ownership is highly important because ownership understands that there's a quote that, you know, failure is fertilizer for growth. (laughs) And I think in order for that to be true, we need to see failure as an opportunity for growth and not just a setback. Um, and, but that, that requires responsibility. It requires holding yourself accountable. It, ho- it requires you to hold your teammates accountable, and that's uncomfortable, <laughs> and, it, and it requires you to look in that accountability mirror, which can be ugly at times, um, and it really requires a, a heightened level of awareness, um, a heightened level of reflection to be able to admit when you're falling short, not only to yourself, but also to your teammates and to your staff members and to your program. So I think for me, I get extremely frustrated when I get beat off things that require no talent. Showing up on time, you know, wearing the right attire, doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, you know, those are things that just take a commitment and the ability to make a decision, mm-hmm. to have and intent to be intentional with what we're doing. And I think for me, yeah, if I'm a basketball player and, I, and my jump shot is struggling, that might be one thing, but I can dive on the floor. I can set good screens. You know, I can encourage a teammate. Those are things that just require me to make the decision to do them. So don't beat yourself. You know, allow things that are outside of your control. Don't focus on those things. Control what you can control, and if you do that, you'll maximize you. And you'll be able to have your best performances and live your best life. And I think when you have that type of perspective, it can carry over not only to the people that are around you, but to the results on the whole.
1: Yeah, totally. And, and life beyond sport as well. I mean, that that's character, man. That's that's so good. So where, where my mind takes me within all of that is it's special to be in an environment where you can fail, where it's encouraged to fail that requires an incredible amount of trust within the organization and and within the team on the floor and the coaching staff and the youth or or team, college, university, pros. How do you guys work on building trust within your team?
0: You know, I think for me, like, you know, trust is a result of just daily interaction. It's a result of showing up, showing out, and doing what you're going to say you're going to do And holding yourself accountable to those words and to that relationship with a staff member or an athlete. That's how you build trust. And I think trust for me can be seen as not only a negative thing, but also a positive thing. Mm -hmm. It can be like, I can expect you to do these things because your track record says this. Now, you have the potential to change that, but I can trust that an athlete that's always late I can trust that that's an area that he's continued or or she's continued to come up short in. So you've built that level of trust, whether it's positive or negative, with your actions and with your behaviors. Mm -hmm. What you say and, and all of that and how you want to justify it and whatever that may be, those are just words. But our actions, our thoughts, the way we approach those individual situations are extremely important. Um, And I think those relationships are what drives those results because people understand that they can depend on you, that you have their backs and that you're going to do that on a daily basis. And that's earned and that's not given. Mm -hmm. I think we expect to be respected. We expect to show up and be trusted because we're in a position of, of leadership, but that's just a title. Um, That's just an organizational flow chart. You build your leadership by your action and by doing what's best for these kids every day, every time. And if you keep those best interests in mind and in your heart, I truly believe you're going to have a hard time doing wrong.
1: Amen. Yeah, yeah, that's great stuff. And you hit two words that I use a lot, and it's standard and expectations. And so you guys have a clear standard, obviously, and and you use the word expectation. And defining between those two, I believe, is communication. And you're a great communicator, man. Now having the first conversation with you live, you're a great communicator. And you're also able to put your words online in, in a fantastic place. Like, How important is communication for you as a coach and, and as a mentor and, and as someone who's impacting the, both sides of the organization?
0: I mean, communication, you can't communicate if you can't connect. And your ability to connect with a person and with an individual creates a bridge for you to take those words and articulate yourself and, and allow those words to have weight. Like, just like you would have, like in sports science, you have a trempe score when it comes to heart rates, let's say. Like, those zones are weighted. It's the same thing, or like a grade in class, they're weighted because they mean more. So, these bridges and these connections allow our words to be weighted it allows us to be intentional and purposeful with those discussions that we're having with those athletes. And there's a lot of people on both sides of this equation. They downplay soft skills. They call them soft skills. I don't know why, but people skills, which if you're in a people business and a people profession, I have a hard time believing that people skills are a soft skill (laughs) because I've met a lot of extremely intelligent, sharp coaches that cannot get, their purpose and their direction across to their athletes. And last time I checked, a lot of my athletes don't really care about phasic muscle action and contractions. They don't care which program we're doing and what the name of it is and what coach it came from. They just want to know that it works. They want to know it's going to give them results, and they trust it because we're the ones giving it to them. And you build that by being able to connect with these kids, and therefore you can have a communication with them or a, commun- a line of communication with them that's effective because they trust you. Mm-hmm. And they know that you're being genuine, that authenticity is appreciated, and that you're reciprocating that. And when you do that, it's recipro- it's reciprocated. And I think it's just like a relationship with anybody else, it's like a relationship with my wife. Like when my wife and I reciprocate feelings towards each other, because we've been together for a period of time and we're able to do that because we've proved to each other that we love one another Mm -hmm. and that love you know is driven by our actions and our behavior so to to downplay communication and the ability to articulate yourself now you have to have a knowledge base (laughs) and you have to be a skilled practitioner and a creature of your craft but let's be honest like you have to be A dual threat in the sense of you have a plan you have a purpose now how are you going to deliver that person I think the delivery ultimately at times is going to determine the final outcome
1: totally and based on the communication and how important the communication is I'm sure you enjoy the tough conversations I'm sure you enjoy the challenging moments where someone's either hitting a wall or someone's facing something that they can't get over you know are you the type of coach that will call that person out or do you look to have a meeting with them after and, and work with them in a way that they can get over it? Like how do you handle the tough conversations, right?
0: To me, the tough conversations are the only ones that really matter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the, I'm not one for small talk. You can ask any of my, uh, any of the people that have worked with me. Uh, you can ask anybody on our staff, any of our athletes, like small talk on the phone, small talk in person, like, I'm not a big fan of snorkeling. I like deep diving. Okay. If we look at our conversations like, oh, it's cool, we're snorkeling. Like I want to be scared a little bit. Like there's a reason why, you know, deep sea divers a little bit different because you're scared. It's like I have to do things when I'm scared. Like I like to do go mountain biking, let's say. Like I'm not thinking about anything else at that time because there's an inherent level of risk and danger and, and being uncomfortable. Those type of conversations those are what create growth. Like growth isn't a result of just superficial bull crap and just having these conversations that you can pretty much finish each other's sentences because they're scripted and they're sterile. Like those aren't the conversations that I want to have not only as a coach, um, but as a human being with another athlete or another staff member. Like, so for me, if it's a critical conversation, like if it's something that there's a confrontation and there's friction or there's something like that, um, John Wooden, I believe, said it, but I prefer to critique in private and praise in public. So if we're gonna have that conversation, then we're gonna have that conversation in a way that allows for each of us to be vulnerable and to be honest and transparent with one another. Yeah. Not their boys are around them and they're gonna turn it into a measuring contest or anything like that. Like man to man, man to woman, person to person, whoever it may be, what's the problem? And let's work through your issues and then hopefully we can sit back and show some level of empathy to each other and understand where each of us you know, are really coming from. And then we can help kind of uh, you know, you know, bridge that gap, so to speak, and maybe be able to figure out you know, a direction that we need to take. But also at the same time, like, disagreements and conflict are a part of any type of highly competitive environment. You can't shy away from that. If you get into this field and in this profession thinking you're never going to have a confrontation or never have a conflict or be uncomfortable with someone, then I'm going to let you know right now you're not challenging them. And if you're not challenging them, you're not going to change them. So go ahead and accept that right now before you move forward or find something else to do.
1: (laughs) Man, you're good. I love it. Um, Understanding that you're working with college, university athletes, what are the ages? you're you're kind of touching on yeah i mean anywhere they
0: come in around 17 18 17 if they're young most of the time they're 18 years old you know they'll be anywhere from 21 to 22 years of old or of age you know before they before it's all said and done um depending if a guy stays one two three or four years so yeah it varies but it's in that that sweet spot of a very interesting season of life for these kids of that 18 to 21 year old range so You know, I enjoy getting to live it again daily. Um, (laughs) Stories are always good, but yeah.
1: Because they are incredibly formative years, and and right now you're getting some raw kids, some kids that may not have been pushed that hard, Um, may not have been a part of a winning culture or may have been a part of a losing culture and are bringing some baggage with them, and, and they have some narratives that they're telling themselves that, you know, aren't necessarily accurate or or they're holding them back like what are some of the things that you're seeing across the board more and more now that you're seeing the younger kids come through with cell phones and the internet and yeah. you know instant gratification like what are, what are some of the top level things that you're working on consistently now that maybe you weren't seeing before
0: well I will say this you know I, I turned 34 next week so I'm not too far removed from you know, I'm, I'm guilty of some of these things as well. It's easier to take a holier than thou approach with a lot of this stuff, but, right. you know, I'm guilty in a lot of aspects as well, as, as all of us are. Um, but for me, when I see these kids, and, you know, I'm a dad and a husband first, and, and I have kids of my own, and one's 11 and, and one's six. So I got both ends of the spectrum here. I got one that's heading into a different phase and season of his life, and I got a young daughter that. Um, you know, it was growing up too fast and, uh, but she's still the apple of my eye and, and seeing both of these two ends of the spectrum, then combining that with these athletes. And, you know, a lot of times you talked about communication, like the ability to sit down and have a open conversation, like verbally, not in text message format, uh, is, is a rare trait nowadays, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, verbally articulate yourself and to verbally, you know, be able to express your emotions and spoken word and just human to human interaction is something that has taken a backseat to our text message, you know, direct message world. Um, and I think when athletes come in, especially in basketball, you know, you get athletes that, you know, one guy can really drive a team. You know, these guys grow up as stars, you know, some of them from very disadvantaged backgrounds. Some of them come from great backgrounds. You get a varying level uh, of kid that, come through, that comes through the door. But in reality, there's just been a, a change of, in the sense that every kid's promoted to be great. You know, In, in school, um, they're special. You're unique. Um, you know, those are all great things. And I don't blame millennials for anything. I, I see a lot of complaining yeah. about millennials let's have a discussion with the parents. It's my age group's fault. Like, it's the parents' issue. Like, we're the ones that are raising the kids. And that standard and and the way that they carry out their character on a daily basis is a direct reflection of what we tolerate and emphasize as parents. So if there's an issue with one of our kids, then that's a conversation that I want to get to know their upbringing. Um, So I think for me, like, with the kids come in, like, it changes from every age group, you know, and I see kids that they want the result, but they're, they're less likely to invest in the process. They, they want to be a leader, but they don't want to step out and lose part as, as being part of the team. Like mm-hmm. they want to, they want to say stuff. They want to be a captain. They want to be a leader, but they still want to stay back in the group. So they're individual, but then they're scared to express themselves as well. Not every kid's like that, but these are just general tendencies. Yeah. Um, So you see a varying level, but then I also see kids that come in that are completely different. Um, So I think I try to view it as N equals 1. I try to assume less and ask more, Um, and I try not to have any type of preconceived notion of what a generation of kid is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Now, do we deal with similar issues? Yes. Um, But I think it starts, and you've already said it. When the kids come in, we give them a very clear, very explicit standard of operation. And once we make those standards and expectations explicitly clear, we can hold them accountable to them. I don't blame a kid for not knowing what they don't know, and until they know it, then you can hold them accountable for it. Um, but that—that's part of just being a leader and being a mentor. You know, I—I I, I try to make sure that we keep an open mind, that that we're patient with the kids, and that we try to express to them what we want to see them do. But. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we're too quick to blame kids. I think we're too quick to to do that. And I think that to condemn or to critique a whole generation of kid, um, I think, is irresponsible
1: at I, times. I love, I love that way of thinking. And um, at a few of the podcasts I've recently done and, and just some of the conversations I've been having over the last six months of like bringing autonomy back in for kids and involving them in the, in the conversation of choice and empowering them within the context of of what's actually happening, like kids don't listen, they watch.
0: And oh, yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Especially as a parent too, like, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that like they not only listening to your words, but they're watching your
1: deeds. Oh, yes.
0: And, and at one point, my son's going to derive what his view of being a man is. He's deriving from watching me how I treat his mother and, and, and how I treat him as a child and and what I do every day, just like my daughter is going to hopefully measure every man she meets based on the expectation and the standard that I set for her. Um, and I read a great, a great quote the other day. It said that, uh, you know, some, some, sometimes somewhere, like basically at one point dads didn't know anything. And by the time they figured out that their dads knew everything, they have a kid that thinks they know nothing. <laughs> so it's like that. It's like that vicious circle of just like understanding that each person is a, is in a season of life. And I think when we get old and we not older, but when we get older, we, we tend to forget how it was when we were 17. 18 19 years old when I was an athlete when you were an athlete I mean I'm an adult and I have a hard time improving my sleep hygiene, but yet I'm, a, I'm expecting a 17 year old kid to do it at an extremely high level It's okay to hold them to that standard, but we also have to be ex- just be honest with ourselves Yeah, and be honest with the kids and I think that can go a long way
1: That's so good man A huge part of that and and what I see in both what your output is online and now conversing with you, you stand for things. Like you physically represent things. Can you just talk to me and expand about like when you walk into the gym, what does Ryan Horn stand for?
0: You know, I I think the number one thing for me is I'm never going to compromise my character, and I think that's something for coaches – You know, if you start to tolerate things, you start to cut corners, a little piece of you goes away every time. And I think that authenticity is appreciated. And it took me a while in my career to really accept the fact and and understand that who I am as a person drives who I am as a coach. And I'm not a coach and then a different person outside of that. And it took a long time for me to realize, like, what i'm doing why i'm doing it like what i value and then who i am as a person and once that was like leaked out and injected and reflective in my actions and what i was doing things started to take off a little bit more and i received a sense of calm and i received a sense of joy in in what i was doing and i think that that was a huge moment for me so when i walked through the door like i want to compete and care consistently. And I'm a man that's not going to compromise my character. And if and I think if I keep that perspective, I can look in the mirror no matter what happens and know that I did what I needed to do when it needed to be done in a way that was reflective of not only myself and those that are around me but also that the people that have invested up into me up to this point.
1: That's so good, man. And- it seems to me like you have a deep trust in your skill set and and that authenticity is so huge where you know I for me I, it's Authenticity and compromise. The more you're living into someone else's projection of you or expectation of you, then all of a sudden you're you're compromising that line of authenticity and you're just getting pulled away from yourself, both externally and internally. And it seems like you're super true to that, man. And it allows you to play the man. It allows you to be in that situation and react based on your gut and the trusting of yourself. So I just want to toss that out there, man. I just love the way you speak. And uh, I just want to talk a little bit more about an experience that really captures why you love what you do you clearly enjoy coaching and impacting youth like do you have just a a favorite story that you know really lights you up on why you love coaching or or impacting youth
0: yeah I don't really think I necessarily chose this profession I think this profession kind of chose me uh just in the sense that I truly be, believe that you know our purpose and our passion and, and what we do. Our why is a lot deeper and darker than a lot of people usually care to admit. It's usually not something like, "Oh, I really want to help people." You know, I'm a servant leader. Like these general terms. My story is: I grew up overweight. I grew up you know, being bullied, being ridiculed. And, and it took me a while to kind of talk about some of those things. But, you know, I grew up, you know, hearing those things on a daily basis. I, I grew up being a shy kid and, and being, and this is a funny story, but being extremely like just terrified of like social situations. Like mm-hmm. I was terrified for public speaking. Yeah. And, and And my ability to articulate myself. Now, what I found was as I grew up, as I started playing sports, you know, as I got taller and all these things started to kind of take shape, you know, right around that seventh to eighth grade year, my mom and my dad, they work for General Motors. And my mom and my dad are extremely blue collar people. Um, They've worked in factories all their life. Um, They've given my brother and I everything that we need to be successful. So we didn't have an excuse. Um, And they did that at the expense of their own aspirations and goals and and they found a way to like kind of provide you know for our family Um, but for me they moved to West Virginia we lived in Michigan we moved to West Virginia which was an extreme culture shock for me and I got down there moved at extremely important season of my life where I started to establish friends and and those types of things and we move and I started to pick up sports and I started to pick up sports so you know my wife now I met in eighth grade, and she became my girlfriend that I've been with since then. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I met her. I started to feel better about myself. Like I started to develop a sense of confidence and a sense of purpose, and sports drove that for me because they gave me something I could be productive at, something that I could control and something that if I invested in it, it would reciprocate and give me something in return. Um, so to me, that was my outlet, and I grew up loving to train. My brother was a, was a bodybuilder and had all the metric shakes and uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia of bodybuilding and the muscle mags. And, uh, you know, we were reading that stuff, and I would lift with him. But that was always something for me that was always the same. It was consistent in my life. I could go to the gym every day, and when I go there, I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have the ultimate say in what the results are going to be. And going throughout my high school career as a collegiate athlete, that was always home for me. Um, And then looking back, I thought about doing other things, but I knew I wanted to do this when I was in 10th grade. I visited a football camp. Some guy was running the workouts, and I said, you know, who are you? He's like, I'm the strength and conditioning coach. I said, so what do you do? He's like, I make athletes better. I train them. I said, you get paid to do that? Like, you do this for a living? And then ever since that day, I told my dad, it was, at, it was at Kentucky, and I told my dad in the truck on the way home because he took me to all these camps. I said, I want to do that when I get older. And he said, You know, all right, sounds good to me. And, uh, but, you know, that was something for me. I think it's always been something in my life that I love to play, but I think because of my talent level, especially in college, I enjoyed preparing more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that kind of leaked in ultimately to my career choice.
1: So, knowing that when an athlete comes into your program, and, and goes through the the number of years that it takes to do so. And they exit into life. How do you hope or, or envision you impacted their lives? Like how within the process of working with you and your organization that, that you're, you're building and, and influencing, how have you impacted their lives? What does that look like?
0: You know, I think for me, looking back, and I've had my first, you know, we've had our first group of kids graduate. Um, this is our fourth year, and, and seeing those kids go all the way through college and, and move on to the next thing. One of the biggest compliments I can get as a man and as a coach is just someone saying thank you and letting us know that the weight room and that our relationship was one of the most consistent life forces and transformational experiences that they've had through their collegiate career. Mm. That it wasn't reflected on playing minutes, it wasn't reflective of wins and losses, that that was a rock for them, and that we were a rock in the sense that we provided them with a consistent outlet on a daily basis to help improve themselves not only as a man, not only as an athlete, um but that we had that type of relationship and we have that type of respect not only for each other but the respect for that process in general and i think that's extremely important to me and i can sound sometimes like an idealist and i i i would like to tell you that i'm not uh i'm also an extreme realist um i'm also a guy that likes to be vulnerable but i'm extremely upfront and direct and honest with our kids But I want them to look back and say that because the stories are what matter. When they come back, they're not talking about verticals, they're not talking about sprint times and bench maxes and squat maxes. When they're talking about stories, when when the guys come back, that's one of the most rewarding times for me. Like it warms my heart and fills my heart to like hear guys tell stories. Like you remember freshman year when we were out at the track and uh, you know such and such said this and then man, coach was like you know and those are things for me that those are the gifts and the things that keep on giving and those will never fade. Those Mm -hmm. will never tarnish. I have no, not that it wasn't important, but I have, you know, rings and I have like championship hats and I have all these things at my house, but the things that, you know, I can't really tangibly hold. Like those are the things that really last and are truly important to me. And I think those things are priceless. Those memories are priceless. And those relationships are, second
1: to none agreed on all accounts man and for those of you who are are listening but can't watch you got a beautiful beard first and foremost but I I see this smile (laughs) smile coming through you love what you do you love making an impact and how does love show up for you within what it is that you do like love within sport is this you know, high performance or or hippie thing. We we don't like to talk about love. I love John Wooden's <laughs> just a beauty, but like I want to bring love back onto the field of play and into training. Talk to me about how love shows up within what you do and how you impact youth.
0: I'll be honest with you. I think if you really look at, it, I'm just a you know a meathead hillbilly hippie. Yeah. I think <laughs> in in a lot of in a lot of aspects, you know, I think uh, you know for me, I think love always wins. You know, I I think it truly does. I think on a bigger scale of things, I think human beings in general, we're communal in nature. Uh, I think we want to commit to something. I think we're compassionate beings. I think that's what separates us from a lot of different organisms and species. You know, I I think overall, I think love truly wins. And I think that in a, a, you know, in our environment, that's just, just testosterone driven, just this masculine environment like I tell my guy our guys and I always catch myself when I say my because they're not my guys they're someone else's kids they're the program's guys so I apologize if I keep correcting myself but I try to minimize the eyes and the me's and the minds but like you know for me it's like I want them to know that I love them and I want them to know that I'm gonna genuinely care daily and that I care about them and that that I'm not gonna spend 70 hours a week with people i don't love and i don't care about you know i spend you know in certain seasons of life with these guys more time with them than i do my own family mm-hmm. uh and i have to love them they got to know that i care them. I and if i love them i can lead them now i think there's a big difference between thinking you could control people and influencing people and that was something for me along my career that it was like an aha moment that we don't control anybody All we're trying to do is have a positive and transformational impact that allows us to influence these kids' actions, their behaviors, and the way they conduct themselves. And I think that that's the goal, is to have a positive impact and influence these kids. Is it always sunshine and rainbows? No. Um, But at heart, they need to know you love them. And if they know you love them, they'll not only play the game because they want to win, they'll not only play the game for the name on the back and the name on the front, but they'll want to compete because they don't want to let you down and they don't want to let each other down. And I think that's a very, very special moment. And that's why we're in sports. Like, if you can't enjoy that and you don't want that type of connection and relationship, it can be done. You can achieve high results and maybe not have those type of relationships, but that's not the type of life I want to live or the type of life I want to lead. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's personal preference. But I'd much rather have a warm and full heart than, you know, Terminator style, 24-7.
1: Beautiful. I'm going to read a quote and then we'll, we'll jam on it. Okay. Be careful not to confuse physical maturity for emotional. Some of these high school and college athletes may look like adults, but they're still kids. They lack the necessary life experience to properly reframe stressful situations. Pass along advice, not judgment. So that comes off your, your Insta and that just hit me so hard. It's beautiful. And the stressful situations, how do you simulate, how do you build the human capacity within stressful situations within your program?
0: You know, I think, I think helplessness is a learned trait. Um, I think the victim mentality that the world is against me and I'm unlucky and, you know, things are happening to me because the world just doesn't like me or you know, the Lord's not watching out for me or whatever it may be. Like, I think that's just a shift in perspective. And I think that our athletes have to be reminded and they have to be educated on the fact that you can control how you respond to whatever happens to you, whatever event, whatever comes your way, you can control how you respond to it. You can control your perspective. And ultimately that perspective is going to drive what that outcome is going to be. Um, and I think that, you know, for us, we forget, like I said before, we, we put ourselves in a position that we forget what it's like to be 18 in college on a Thursday night. Um, we forget that some of those lessons need to be lived and they need to be learned. And, and and we need to be able to put ourselves in a situation to show some level of empathy, empathy and understanding of what the position that they're in and then share our experiences with them and know that our, our, our advice isn't coming from a place of judgment it's coming from a place of experience i've been there you know and i could that's what i'm telling them like hey i'm not telling you what to do what not to do i'm just letting you know in my lifetime when i was in that situation this is the vantage point from which i could look at it and even now like kids will come to us with problems when they come to us with the problems i don't expect them to know the answers because they're kids they haven't lived it yet they don't have that vantage point because they've never seen it before so I think that you got to teach them how to, you know, self-correct and, and to how to organize their thoughts in a way that allows them to take these things on and to give them the confidence and to give them the resources and tools needed to deal with those hard things mm-hmm. and to deal when their girlfriend breaks up with them or they're having issues on the floor or issues in class or issues with their parents or whatever it may be like, be a consistent force to allow them to better take care of themselves. Um, And I think that's a a huge part of what we do.
1: It's so good. And everything that you're talking about reaches across the entire human being, whether you're on the court, at home, with the boys, with your family. Exactly. It's all you keep on saying the word consistency, and I just I love that word. And So I want to take the mental side one step further before we kind of wind down. These situations that are tough, both in life but more so on the court. Can you describe to me a little bit about your makeup of of the mental game? Because strength and conditioning, living in the weights, yeah, that's one thing, but the, the brain is connected to the body. So, you know, we're always building ourselves within stress, within, you know, tough environments. Can you paint a little bit of a picture about how you work on the mental side of the game?
0: I mean, I think when you kind of, you know, you kind of look at it, it's like, you know, the brain always wins, you know, and the the brain is going to quit before the body does. And and it's like that for a reason, because, you know, we need to be able to survive and thrive. And, but I think we all have a choice to either survive, we can thrive or we can surrender. Uh, And I think that when you look at those things that we have the power to push ourselves way beyond what we're capable of. And I think that we're in a position as coaches and as mentors and as leaders to, to make these kids not only confident enough to do it, but to make them uncomfortable, to be unapologetically demanding, but relentlessly positive with them. And I say that a lot because I think a lot of times we think that we can't be too hard on them, but I got to be nice, or we're going to be, we think we're being demanding, but we're being demeaning. Like you have to understand, like what your mission is. And I think that we're here because of stress. Um, we're here because of adversity. Like if I look back right now, and I look at all these adverse situations and all these failures, like those were the setups for the big things, for the great things. Not anything like, you know, living in a life of comfort and convenience doesn't create high levels of human performance. It doesn't. You're not going to get better like that. Now, that's the body's reverse set point. That's what it wants to do. It wants to survive. It wants to maintain homeostasis. But our job as coaches is not only to apply ear and stress to the system so they can effectively adapt, but also to provide mental pieces and daily pieces to help them deal with stress from an emotional standpoint. And I think over time, you develop a level of emotional intelligence. You develop a level of comfort and confidence of dealing in stressful situations. But we also have to define that too. Like for me, you know, taking a buzzer beater, you know, for one of our kids might be a stressful situation. But if you're talking to someone that's in the service, that's in the military, that's in Afghanistan, that's dodging bullets, that's a stressful situation for them. So I think that we have to be very careful of, of identifying what those different levels of stress are for those kids, based on their experience, like what's stressful for me might not be stressful for someone else, and I think that we have to be careful. For I, one thing, I don't like and I hear it a lot, and it's became a phrase that I, I kind of try not to use anymore. Is like, well, if I was in your shoes, like I hate that. Like, no, you're not. Like, you're not going to be in my shoes. Like, you can't tell me how you would think because you haven't lived the life that I lived. And I think we have to be careful of putting people in those types of situations. And I think that we have to be careful just generalizing, like, for that kid, like, understanding that pain is inevitable. Like, you're going to deal with pain. You're going to deal with adversity. But, like, suffering, like, how you deal with that pain, like, that's a choice. So I think for me, and, you know, something I want to educate anybody that I can on or those people that I interact with. I think that's what's important. Like, that stuff's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to wake up sore. Or I'm going to wake up in pain or I'm going to have issues. It's going to happen. Um, but I can control how that affects me. Yeah. And I think that that's extremely important for not only for us to realize as coaches and as human beings, but also especially for our kids and, and for our athletes.
1: Suffering is a decision and pain is one of the best teachers. So I'm I'm with you, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, and one last one last uh, conversation around stress management before we we sign off. We nailed stress there in stressful situations, but we're you know I keep on saying we're at a, at this time, and I can't relate to years before me, and I dealt with stress in my way, but you know arguably we're we're in this fight or flight nonstop right now. Kids are stressed. They're on their phones all the time. They're bouncing around between all kinds of things. The multitasking is kind of out of control. We're pressing harder and harder, looking for more results. You know, we're essentially just rocking the 100% intensity at all times. How do you manage stress for yourself personally and and then your athletes? You
0: know, I think we're not only – you know we're great at acknowledging, you know, stressful situations. But we're also really great at creating it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, we
0: create a lot of stress on ourselves. You know, and if you've read, uh, you know, Doctor Robert Sapolsky's work with why zebras don't get ulcers, that know, book. He,
1: that book is in my my bedroom waiting to be read right yeah, now.
0: So like he, he's, a, you know, I've you know I've actually seen him speak before, and um, you know, if you read that and you understand, I mean, you've taken an acute response and made it a chronic one. But it all goes back to, like we said before, like we determine that stressful situation based on how we view it. If I'm, I'm living in North Carolina and traffic doesn't really exist around these parts, but how I view someone in front of me, not going when the stoplight, like I've seen people go into a fit of rage, like they want to take their head and shove it through a window because someone didn't go immediately when the light turns green, like letting your blood pressure and your heart rate and your emotions, take the best of you over something so meaningless like so i can get somewhere a tenth of a second faster like those are all things that i'm just like that's another response and another event that causes this hormonal and emotional cascade that just is unnecessary like it just doesn't need to happen so i think with me you know managing stress really comes down to one diagnosing and determining what those stressors are to you like understanding what is stress what is stressful you know what is burnout why does it happen is it a result of balance which I don't think really exists or is it a result of separation like I don't believe in work life balance I believe in work life separation people try to balance the two you can't balance the two because one's always going to be heavier like my family is never going to come second ever Like You can't tell me right now that my wife and kids are ever going to weigh less than what my career does. Never, ever. Because the only reason why I do what I do is for them and for myself. So like to me, I have to separate those two. So when I go home, in order for me to be intentional as a father and as a husband, I can't be distracted. I don't work from home. If I'm going to work, I come in the office. Um, I'll go to a Starbucks. I'll go wherever. But I don't bring work home. Does that maybe... Determine my ultimate impact or how much work I can do, maybe. But after reading some different things, like a book called Essentialism is a great book if you haven't had a chance to read it. Um, It comes down to being, you know, that no is a complete sentence. And to be, you know, an essentialist in the sense of understanding what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and what are things that are causing stress in your life and in your athlete's life that they can just help eliminate the color and we can help educate these kids to let them understand that there's clarity and simplicity. But also, this is one thing I will say before we get off here, you also have to understand that I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a psychiatrist. Yeah. You have to understand that there are certain athletes that mental health is an extremely sensitive and important piece to understand not only what you're, how you refer out, for different kids that are having really bad troubling issues and be able to spot those kids and those type of things, whether it's suicidal thoughts, whether it's suicidal tendencies, whether it's depression. Um, there is a barrier there for kids that feel like they can't discuss those things, whether it's abuse growing up, whether it's abuse now, whether in an abusive relationship. like this is so much bigger than sports. It's so much bigger than just sets and reps and scoreboards and wins and losses. And you have to understand when to send somebody to someone else so they can get help. Um, And I had a coach tell me a long time ago, you never want to be the last person someone talks to. And you have to give that athlete your time and your attention, because what if they do stop by your office looking for someone to give them a reason not to make a decision that's ultimately going to change or end their lives. And you owe it to that athlete or to that person not to brush them off. And I don't want to look back and have to think that I was too busy, which we glorify so much nowadays. Like you're a tough guy because you get up at four o'clock in the morning. Well, guess what? I can get the same amount of work in if I sleep more, three hours more. Just because you do your workout at four doesn't make it any more tough than the guy that does his workout at 10. It all evens out, but that's, That's another thing. I'm sorry. No, no, no.
1: We could could dive into that deep because I I work out at 3 in the morning. It's like, yeah, you got bad sleep patterns, man. Yeah, but even
0: that, it's like the glorification of busy. Let's look at output. Let's look at what type of really impactful and influential work you're really doing, not just clocking in and clocking out every day. I've seen it before. Guys want to sit in the office for 14 hours just to brag about how hard they work. But anyways, we've all been victim of that, but I digress. But yeah, back to your stress thing, you know, and I always coach coaches too. Like athletes can be great because of what we do, but also in spite of it. So understanding stress, understanding the stress response and how to apply stress emotionally and physically to an athlete to get effective adaptation. There's maladaptation and there's effective adaptation. Um, you have to understand the difference between the two and then, Devise plans, both in how you communicate with kids and how you train them to get the highest result at the least cost possible a majority of the time, Mm -hmm. but also not be afraid to prepare them for that worst case scenario as well.
1: Yeah. That's great, man. You got it. You got a fantastic outlook on on all this. And I got to tell you, it's it's been a true pleasure asking challenging questions and you, you making me my game a little bit better. And, <laughs> you know, you handled it really well. I appreciate it. And I hope my listeners who in an ideal world are a, a culmination of students, of parents and coaches. Uh, so there, there's a lot here. And, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing from the heart. I, I really do.
0: The truth is always easier to remember so it's always easy to spot someone that's just talking about things they've never done or they're not too sure of or they're trying to manufacture like you shouldn't have to manufacture those things and i think once we make that decision to make that commitment to be authentic to be genuine and just tell the truth of of where we're at not with the result of trying to impress anybody but trying to improve great things can happen
1: yeah Okay, I got one more thing that I'm seeing yeah. now. I, I want to read it, and then I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Ballers need time, or ballers need to make time to drop the ball and pick up yeah. a barbell, fork, book, or hobby. What you put yeah. into your mind and body is just as important in the long run as what goes in the hoop. Hashtag protect the investment. Yep. Yeah. Can you just expand on that what what comes to mind first and and then we'll we'll close it off
0: I think you know you were extremely high level athlete so that this might be foreign to you a little bit for common folk and normal people but you know I think we have to educate kids to be a pro now and if you look at all those things that I mentioned those are all things that are just as easy to do as they are not to do but in the end those are the things that add up to make a huge difference. Like. If you need to put on weight and you need to add lean muscle mass, then sit down, lift weights, and lift a fork to your mouth and do what you need to do to get to that goal. So showing me that you're not able to put the weight on is a direct reflection of your commitment and your character and your your contribution to that process. So I think if you look at that tweet, it's showing athletes that you're in control. Be a pro. Protect the asset, which is you, and protect the investment, which is the work that you put in. Mm-hmm. So you've worked way too hard just to allow some things that getting up and eating breakfast every day. Now, most of my athletes, I'm not teaching them about intermittent fasting because their idea of fruit is coming in a fruit snack form or Sour Patch Kids. They think that's a fruit, which it's not. So no offense to anybody teaching nutrition. I just want our guys to eat. Uh, So I'm going to allow them to eat breakfast. We're not going to talk about, uh, you know, paleolithic intermittent fasting protocols. We're going to have them wake up and eat breakfast every day. But Those are simple things that they can do that just builds momentum. It builds a level of ownership. Like you said, if you invest in something, it's a lot easier, you know, it's a lot harder, excuse me, to quit. And you've made an investment, you have a level of autonomy and ownership of your process and your investment. So I think those are all things I want our guys to understand that they're in control of that. They have enough people telling them, you know, I have guys all the time, I want to get drafted. All right, let's do whatever it takes to get you. To that point it 's not my job to tell them like, hey, good luck man they, ha- they have enough people giving noise. Our job is to send a clear and concise signal to allow them to maximize whatever ability they have and, and whatever resources that's in their power to, to to raise that level on a daily basis
1: that's magic man i I'm so happy for all your athletes, dude, as, as challenging as it may be for them to be on the court with you uh, and in the gym with you. Um, you got a great process and, uh, yeah, man, I I like how everything, although we're talking about sport here, it still comes back to character, integrity and love. Like you're, you're all on it.
0: I know we're running short on time, but I know we did discuss like kids and i do want to throw this out there let's
1: do it let's do
0: it i think it's extremely important like being a father like looking back now you know i read a book when i was in college it was called just like let the kids play and and really what we're looking at and i see it now and i hear it when i talk to older kids in college so if you're parents of of little kids and you're parents of adolescent athletes and high school athletes like let them know that you love to watch them play. Mm. Like let them know that you receive great joy out of seeing them compete and let those kids know that if that's all that really matters to you, like they need you to be a parent. They need you to be a fan. They got plenty of coaches. Uh, I coach for a living. And when I go to little youth sport activities, the kids are acting like it's the ACC championship and the parents are screaming at referees that volunteer their time to be out there and don't get paid anything. And, and I think that a lot of those things would add up along the course of a way if we start realizing that the sports are for them, not for us. Yeah. Uh, and it's a way for them. It's a vessel for them to start to formulate their own identity. Um, and I think that when I talk to college age kids, whether they're five star Top 20 kid, or there's someone that's outside that fringe. I love having discussions about those things when they grew up, and it always comes up that, like, you know, on the ride home, those are the first things that need to be said. Mm -hmm. They ask for input, they want to be coached, then give them what you need. But that should never be the first thing that kind of comes out of your mouth. So a little PSA from a college. Strength conditioning coach down to everybody else, understanding how important high school private coaches all the way down the line, like how formative those years are when it comes to setting them up for success. Ultimately, at the next level. So yeah, just a little. bit. I want to throw that in there because I know we discussed it, and I think it's very important to kind let's, of get that out there.
1: Let, let's do it. Let's let's hop in then because like, are you familiar with uh, Changing the Game Project? John O'Sullivan, Reed Maltby. Have, have they crossed your path? Yeah, I,
0: yeah. I've kind of crossed the path a little bit there.
1: Yeah. So I I had I presented with Reed uh, a couple weeks ago. John O'Sullivan's great, and that's their biggest thing. <clears throat> Tell the kids that you love watching them play. So so great, and a part of that culture of kids are not having fun anymore and they're afraid of the ride home. 70, seven, zero percent of kids right now are leaving and quitting sport by the age of 13, which is so oh. incredibly troubling. So insane. Yeah. So an, an exercise and a thought process that, that I wanted to go through with you. And then I, I'm excited to build out is, you know, you got a kid coming in after a game or a practice in your vehicle and you're, you're a parent, you know, what are, what are some of the questions or what's some of the dialogue that we can lead on their behalf? Because, Going and trying to dissect the game when you're not a professional coach and that's the last thing that the kid wants to hear because they're distraught right there They're sad they're low self-concept and identity in that moment. Like how can we build youth up after a game or a practice that might be challenging? I just I'll give you the floor
0: You know, I think it all comes back at, you know, being a parent and a coach. It all comes down to perspective I think our our vision becomes cloudy and distorted when we take things personally You know, when we're when we're measuring our social status and we're measuring, you know, our ability as parents based on the outcome or performance of a kid on a playing field or on a court or anything else. Like in reality, when they when they look at you, like they just want to know that they're proud. And I want my kids to play the game because they love playing the game, because they love to compete, because they love to be out there. Not because they think that it will help them receive love or affirmation from me. Oh. So I think like I'm not saying that you can't have those conversations with the kid if he asks you like, "What can I do better, Dad?" or "Or what is it?" We can have those conversations, but understand that I love you first. Mm. And just by setting the table with that speed, like, "Man, I love watching you play. You know, I love you to death. You know, but next time I see you walk on the court, now and that's what I tell my kids. Like before every game, I tell them, you know, have fun, play hard." be coachable, you know, and and be a great teammate. Like, those are the four things. My daughter plays field hockey. She does everything. She loves sports, gymnastics, the whole deal. My son loves whatever sport. I've never pushed him to any sport that he could do. You play what you want to love, and you try different things. But, like, those are the four things as far as just play hard, have fun, be coachable, be a great teammate. If I see any of those four things, then we might have a little bit of a discussion. So if I see you not being coachable, I'm going to let you know I love you, well, don't, don't ever throw your hands up at a coach again. Like they're there because they love you and they want to invest in you. But those are all learn life lessons. But as far as missing jump shots, you can't perform if you're fail. You know, if you're in fear of disappointing me because you're missing jump shots. You know, shoot or shoot. You know what I mean? J.R. Smith for the Cavaliers. You know, like he says, the you know, only bad shot's the one you didn't take. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, for me, I'm not worried about that stuff. Like that's going to take care of itself. But dang it, you better be a great teammate. You better be respectful of your coaches. You you better play hard, and you better do those things because that's what you're in control of. So I'll never get on them for not scoring, but I'll get on them for not caring. But it's in a way I think you need to set the table in a way. And right after the game probably isn't the best way to do that. So I think that for me, those are all things that when I look back, I don't want that to be a stressful process. Mm -hmm. I want them to look back on that and remember that this was something they can do because my dad was my coach. Um, growing up, but I've never been able to do that with my son because of my role in my job. So, like, I've never got a chance to do that. So, I'm definitely the guy that's sitting up as far away as I can from the other parents and just enjoying being the dad. I, that's all I want to do. I go to games because I want to enjoy being the dad, and, mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, so, I think that's the most important thing: be a parent first, and then everything else after that. I think will will kind of shape. But uh, you know, I think that's that's where I stand on it.
1: I, I think it's great man i'm I'm with you 100 percent on that so let's leave it there dude this has been incredible i just want to be able to direct people to to follow you on the socials or check you out so how could people either reach out to you uh if if they want to extend that conversation or just check out what you have to uh say online
0: yeah we're on twitter it's ryan horn four five on twitter and instagram that's probably where we put the most of our content I, I, I prefer Instagram because I feel like you know 140 or 280 characters whatever it is we've used that as a platform to have in-depth discussions which I don't see how that can really happen um, so I prefer to kind of collaborate not necessarily compete uh, with all the egos or other stuff that's going on so I prefer Instagram over a lot of things so I feel like there's a variety of vessels you can get out to people and get information but you know I think for us like all we're trying to do with our social media is use the platform while we have it. And we have a great responsibility and we have a platform. Um, and nothing we have on there is really necessarily created. It's just kind of a electronic diary of sorts. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what you see on there is motivated by actual things that are happening on a daily basis to me and our staff. Um, and that just gives people an open house view of like what's going on in our head and in our hearts at that time. Um, so yeah. So if you guys want to shoot a message or ask questions on there, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to reach out. I've been on the other side of things when emails were not answered and messages were not answered and, um, no one would give me a chance. So I try to pay it forward and and, and respond to people as, as much as we can. So I think that it's a great way for us to collaborate Um, And contribute to the field so I think that that's what social media should be viewed as not as you know blatant You know exploitation of self, but rather a social service um, to kind of help our field So yeah, that's where I stand on that.
1: You're a good man Ryan. Appreciate it Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Maybe stick around for a minute, uh, but we'll we'll call it here. Thanks so much, man
0: No problem Dude,
1: that was great really appreciate everything you have to say honestly so good so rich
0: that was awesome, man. That was a great discussion, dude. I appreciate it. The, all these, man, I always love like act, like actually talking to coaches. You can tell a huge difference. Like the value of a podcast is directly reflective of the person asking the questions. And I mm. think that you asked a lot of great questions. You asked a lot of questions that you know required me to really be intentional and think about how I wanted to answer. So yeah, I man, I, I really enjoyed that. Thanks a lot for having me on.
1: Beautiful. So I'm. Uh... I'm going away to Costa Rica with my dad, father-son trip of a lifetime. I'm super psyched. Oh, yeah. uh, so we're we're gone for I think the 11th to the 20th, and then the, I have a coaching symposium. So likely this will. 23rd to the 28th of April is when I'm going to look to air this but I'll, but I'll shoot you all the info I, you got to do no work man uh, just just literally tag you and, and run with it and this was great dude part of a big conversation and you know as, as someone I was able to share an hour with and then essentially trust now like you you got a, a great voice like I really want to do my part to, to make this conversation bigger and better so uh, uh, I'll keep you posted as to other things but Dude, this is this is what is necessary right now, I feel it. And you're you're miles ahead. It's great.
0: I appreciate it, man. Thanks again for everything. Well, have to talk oh. soon. Enjoy your trip.
1: I most certainly will. Cheers, Ryan. I'll
0: talk soon. See yeah, you
1: later.